1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 26. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that may seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra care and honor are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. You may be seated. Hi, my name is Jim. Hi, my name is Anton. Together we teach the Senior High Boys Small Group. I'm 66 years old and I've been serving in youth ministry for approximately 25 years. I'm the age of 34 years old. I've been serving in youth ministry for about two years now. That's the hope to grow stronger and grow more as I get older. Because, because we, we follow Jesus, Jesus we, we are called to care for one another. Man, I love those guys. They are just fantastic men. And just to see them serving together is such a joy. And uh, really, all of the youth leaders, the people that have poured into our young people for this weekend for Youth Explosion has just been an amazing thing to see. And it just makes my heart glad to see how people have stepped up um, to help with Youth Explosion. And we'll have a little taste of what's been going on over the weekend uh, a little while later. But it's just so great to see people stepping up and serving together uh, in that way. This is our third week now of our series called One Another. There are 49 mentions of this phrase, one another, in the New Testament. We're t picking out five of them and combing through them in the hopes that we can gain a little inspiration for how we are to be the family of God, the followers of Jesus together, the, the church. And the more I hear things out in the world and the more stories I hear, I begin to get a grasp of how important this, this, these messages really, really are. If you remember the first week that I shared with you, I mentioned to you that throughout these five weeks of this series, you're probably not going to hear anything new. You're not going to be gaining any new information, but the power of this, these messages, these sermons, uh, week to week, really depends on you and, and what you do during the week. So just keep that in mind, and I hope that you are experiencing that. We're not going to necessarily um, blow your mind with new information, but the power of it rests on you and your ability to live it out each and every week. I was watching on YouTube, there were two Christian leaders 
that were debating one another on a hot-button topic that uh, the church wrestles with. And they were going back and forth as to their different viewpoints of this, this issue, and it got a little contentious uh, during this, this radio interview. And, of course, the person that was, uh, uh, you know, that was monitoring everything was sort of drumming up the drama between these two Christian leaders and, and all of that. And the, the, the host... Uh, pointed to the one person and said, you know, this other guy, he's really, he's really uh, coming at you. He's really, you know, saying some derogatory things about you. Um, how does that make you, make you feel? And his response was so telling. He just kind of raised his eyebrow and he said, well, that's my brother. <laughs> and I love him. So what we want to do over these, over these weeks of reminding ourselves of one another is that in the midst of all of the division around us, in the midst of debate or, or difficulty, wrestling through difficult things, when we find difference between one person and the next, it's important to come to that centering point and to re- remember what, what this is all about and what this is all about. To remember why we've gathered here, to remember what centers us, what anchors us and tethers us together as people of, of faith. So I want to take you into the book of Corinthians. Uh, this is a letter to the people of Corinth uh, you find in the New Testament. And this is a great example because the, the church in Corinth was kind of a mess. I mean, there were all kinds of divisions. If you read the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you find this littered throughout Paul, the writer of this letter to the church in Corinth. He's constantly trying to put out fires where there are divisions and, and factions and contentiousness between the believers uh, that are there. And so in, in chapter 12, 24 to 26, this is the part we're going to really center on. He says, but God has so arranged the body that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Your version of the Bible might say equal care or equal concern. The same care for one another. There is no greater example of a, a diverse church than the church in Corinth. We, we find earlier in this chapter that not only was there uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but there was also free people and slaves that are part of the same body of faith. Can you even imagine that? Now, when we approach books of the Bible like this, we, we consider something that we call historical distance, that it's hard for us to really catch a glimpse of, of what it was like to be a person in Corinth in that day. So we try to reach down and kind of learn what the context is to kind of figure out uh, the power of God's word to them as it then becomes God's word to us. And so in this, we begin to understand that there was all kinds of, of diversity in this church, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. And they were d- divided by uh, by, by race and by culture and socioeconomic status. They were rich and poor. All these people gathered together, smashed into this one f- community of faith, and they're trying to figure out how to be the church, how to be the people of faith. And so a lot of these uh, issues come up as they're wrestling with this. And most people would say, well, they're divided because they're diverse. And we 
think that way sometimes. In fact, when we go outside the walls of, of this church building, we find that a lot of times human behavior, just natural human behavior, not everybody, but speaking generally, natural human behavior is to gather and congregate with people that are kind of like you, that you have something in common with, that you agree with, that you have some affinity with. When you come across someone, for example, like let's say you meet someone in, new in the coffee shop and you begin talking, and the length of your conversation really depends on how much you find in common, right? And if you find, well, I don't really connect with this person, you're kind of working your way out of that conversation. It's just sort of human nature. It's natural. We spend time with the people that we connect with, and we tend to not congregate with the people that we don't connect with. So in the world around us, our, sort of our natural tendency is to operate with the mindset that diversity is division. But the vision that we have for the church is much different than that. There were all kinds of special issues that, that sort of cropped up and, and leaked into the church because of the, 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 the division out in the world around them. Uh, two examples. There were some people that had supernatural spiritual giftedness. They had gifts of healing. They had gifts of of speaking in tongues. And the people that had that spiritual gift, well, they just start to get a little happy and proud about themselves more than the rest. They thought that maybe they were a little bit more special in the eyes of God than the other folks. And that caused a lot of dissension in the, in the, in the church and the community of faith. There was also some issues around communion, sharing in the Lord's Supper, and in the early church, they also called them love feasts because they would incorporate communion in with a, a common meal that would be, be shared. The only problem is, is that the, the meal practices of the people in Corinth culturally was a little bit different than what we would expect. Because there was no such thing as a middle class. There was really rich and then there was really poor. And the rich people, they would often uh, get themselves together some really fancy, nice meals. And there's a high culture of hospitality in that day. So they would invite people that are just like them to come over and share a meal at their table. And they would enjoy it. And then the people, the slaves and the workers that, well, they would get the leftovers. And so it was time to have a love feast in the church in Corinth. They just operated under the same mindset. They, the rich amongst the community of faith, they just ate all the nice stuff. And then when the slaves and the, and the lower class workers were coming in from the fields after a long, hard day's work, they didn't have control over their own time. They were just doing what they were told. They were getting the leftovers. And so Paul has to address that. He says, look, if you're hungry, eat beforehand. It's <laughs> basically what he says. And so because of this diversity we find contentiousness. We find a wrestling, and they're trying to work through this. And we think that it's because of the diversity that there's division, but no, there's, there's a deeper vision that Paul is, is getting at. Because the, the, the division that was going on in the church wasn't like two parts that separate and there's a rivalry with one another, but instead... It was turned on its head and were people that considered themselves superior and went about making other people in the community of faith feel inferior. 
And so Paul addresses that with a common metaphor that was shared amongst the Romans, actually. This is a shared metaphor, understanding. It was used, um, language used in a variety of different contexts. An image of a body in the relationship of the parts of the body that, that they have with one another. And so in verse 13, he, if chapter 12, he says, For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Paul here is addressing the people that were feeling less than, that were feeling made to feel inferior because they maybe didn't have as much to offer to the community. And so Paul says to them, look, you belong. Despite what these other people are saying, you belong here. And you have just as much equal footing as the rest of them. And as much as there might be language of, of division that exists in the world around us, in this place, when we gather here, you are on the same in the eyes of Christ. Think about how powerful that is. Think about the slave in that society that lives and operates and is treated like a slave throughout the entire, every moment of every day of their life, except when they go to church. When they go to church, they're no longer a slave, but they are considered the same as everybody else. What a powerful, powerful image. You belong. You belong, and as much as anyone might say that you don't belong, listen, you belong. Um, I've mentioned this before. I served some time as a missionary in the country of Haiti, and after I came back from my time there, I gathered together with some people, and we started leading groups of people down to Haiti, and we were working with the school and supporting it and, and uh, trying to sustain it in that place where we were. And one particular time, we were down there with a group, and we decided to do a little children's program, Bible program, in a, a church. And this was this little remote, sort of in the mountains village, very poor. And so we were doing our program, which was a lot of fun. We got a huge showing. All the kids were coming out. And we did our uh, skits and singing and all of that. Of course, the crescendo of the moment was when we broke out the candy bags. And so we're trying to get the candy out and, and divvy that you know, one by one, but it's like, it's like dipping a piece of meat in a tank full of piranhas. Like they just, you know, grabbing them and grabbing them and then it's sort of this big commotion. And as I'm trying to manage this whole situation, out of the corner of my eye, I spot a boy who was on the outside of the gate that was protecting the, the courtyard of 
the church. The church would butt up right against the road. It was dangerous, so they had a little courtyard in the front with, surrounded by a gate. And here was this young man outside of the gate. The door was open. The gate was open. He's just outside of the gate looking in from the bars. And a lot of our team members didn't know exactly what was happening there, because, but because I had been there, I kind of knew what was going on. And he confirmed it when I asked him. I said, why aren't you going inside? And he said, well, look at what I'm wearing. I'm in, my, I'm in my play clothes. I don't have shoes on my feet. I have these ripped up sandals. And in that culture, you dress up. You dress up really well when you go to church. And it's such a big cultural component there that if you don't have those clothes, if your family's too poor to afford those clothes, guess what happens? You just don't go to church. And so here was this boy operating out of how he was culturally conditioned, what he was taught. He can't go inside that church with this, the rest of these kids grabbing candy because he wasn't dressed right. And so I put my arm around him. I said, no, you're going to come in as my special friend. And so I, I almost, I was so happy about this moment, and I just almost grabbed him and pulled him up the stairs and and I went to the first person that was like sweating because it was so hot, but also trying to like do this candy situation. And I said, hey, this is my friend. And uh, he would like some candy too. And the smile that came over his face. And I know he was happy about candy, but I think he was also happy that someone would say, you belong here. You belong inside the doors, inside the gates. You belong. When it comes to division and diversity in the church, a lot of times I know we, we think of diversity sort of like it's sort of a buzzword, people talk about it. But I wonder, what's God's role in all of this. And we might have glossed over a little bit in verse 24. It was this very particular thing here. It says, but God has so arranged the body. Now remember, he's talking about the variety of different parts. There's the eye, there's the hand, there's the head, there's the ear, there's the foot. And God has so arranged it this way that the canvas, the tapestry of the body of Christ, the, the family of faith, the church, God has arranged it. God is behind the diversity that they were experiencing. See, the diversity wasn't the cause of their division. It was their hearts, their, their human condition. They were unable to deal with what God was throwing at them. See, God so arranged the diversity that existed in the church. And he addresses the people that were feeling inferior, and he said, look, you may say that you don't belong because that's what's been kind of told, that's what you, how you were treated, but that doesn't make you not a part of the body. And then he, address, he addresses the people that were feeling superior. And he goes into talking about how, look, it's not that you're just connected to the body, 
It's that you depend on one another. That the, that the hand can't exist by itself. The foot can't exist by itself. An eye can't exist by itself. An ear can't exist by itself. Look, you need these other people. And as much as you have this great self-importance right now because of what you can offer to the community, you fail to realize that you need one another and that God has so arranged it that way that we need the people that we disagree with. That we need the people that we don't have anything in common with. That we need the people that really, man, it's really hard to connect with them. And we might even need the people that hurt us sometimes. We need one another. God has so arranged it that way. That we are an interdependent community. We lean, we rely on one another. And he says, God has arranged it this way so that you would avoid, and different Bibles will say different things because the Greek word's kind of funny, but it's, it might say uh, division or tearing apart or dissension, but it literally means schism. I arranged, God's saying, I, God arranged it this way so that you would avoid the separation, the division. Because that's how the world operates. You see, when you go outside of the church, your human condition, your human propensity will be to just gather with people that are just like you. It's just sort of how it happens. But, but here in the church, there's something else that tethers you together. There's something else that holds, that anchors you together to love and to serve and to appreciate one another. There's something bigger that's going on than our personal tastes and preferences and political views. Something else that's going on where we say that we are one because of Jesus Christ. When I was um, just starting out my freshman year of college, my undergraduate, you know, you get there and then you deal with your mom crying and then they leave and then they send you this orientation thing and you're just sort of corralled into this big room, this is what, at least my experience, and they corral you into this big room and they go through all these different activities, they try to orient you to the college experience and all of that, so I did all of that, it was kind of weird and a little corny, so didn't know exactly how to take it and we were all leaving in mass to go back to our dormitory. And there was one young man that he, he kind of started walking awkwardly like beside me. I'm just like, man, give me some space here. And he's walking alongside of me. And I could t- he just kind of looked awkward and nervous. And I was like, what is, what is wrong with this guy? And he kinda, he's walking alongside of me. He goes, he's like looking around. He goes, are you a Christian? <laughs> and I thought, boy, the Holy Spirit's pouring out of me. And I realized I was wearing an old youth group t-shirt. <laughs> and he noticed it. And we became best friends and roommates throughout college and, and all of that. But the, the funny thing is that we're so different, <laughs> he and I. And when I came there, I didn't know what I was going to study, but I had a kind of loud mouth, and, you know, I, um, I act before I think, and, and all those things. And, 
more right-brained individual and kind of went there to try to walk onto the football team, didn't, don't be impressed. And then um, here's my friend Luke, who is a microbiology major, won all these awards in high school because of his good grades, and liked to spend time culturing bacteria or whatever those people do. And that sounded all like, you know, I guess kind of interesting. Um, but we were so different, he and I. Different worldviews, different perspectives. And, but we were best buds. And we grew in our faith together because of Christ, because of Jesus. And you know what's interesting? I kind of, looking back on it now, I realize that as long as Christ was in the center of our friendship, we were going to grow because of our differences, not despite them. That somehow he was going to challenge my weaknesses and I was going to challenge his. And we were going to grow together and learn from one another because that's how God arranged it that way. And so when it comes to just considering being a part of the church, the, the body of Christ, it's important to know we, we need one another. If all of you were just like me, church would be incredibly boring or incredibly destructive. But I celebrate the fact that we're different. I celebrate the fact that we have different worldviews and come from different perspectives. You all are interesting to me. I'm interested in what God is doing and has done in your life, what your background is, whatever it might be. I'm interested in your perspectives and even, this isn't an invitation to have a conversation, but even your politics a little bit to kind of understand where are you coming from? What is God doing in you? How has God crafted and molded and shaped you? That's interesting to me and I need that. I need to hear that. If I'm going to grow, God has so arranged it that way. So he says, he arranged that way to avoid the separation, but then he says, so that you'd have equal care, equal concern for one another. And the word care there in the Greek is the word merimnao. Uh, and what it kind of gives us this idea of care or to be anxious for. And I know that you guys think of like worry or anxiety, it's not really a good thing, but, but I kind of see it as uh, being anxious for in the same way that my mom's anxious for me or my mom worries. My mom's like, oh, I worry about you. I know, mom, it's okay. But you know, secretly, I'm glad I have a mom that worries about me. You know what I mean? That someone that actually is paying attention to what's going on in my life that cares my mom that watches the live stream of all of my sermons, oh, honey, that was your best one yet. <laughs> okay, mom. That's what I say. She's watching right now, I bet. Okay, mom. But I'm so glad that I have someone like that. That's kind of the word that we're given here, to be concerned about one another, to pay attention to one another, to care for one another in such a way that we know what's going on in each other's lives, and we're concerned about how God is continuing to mold and shape and form us as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's sort of the vision that we've had 
for our, our small group gatherings, our small group communities. And as people have asked me, well, what does it really mean? Because we do lots of different things when we ask you to gather in a small group. You know, you study together, you discuss things, you pray with one another, you have fellowship together and, and all of that. You might even serve together somewhere, uh, outreach opportunity, which is great. But someone, people have asked me, you know, so what, what does that really look like? And I love to give them a vi vision of something, a scenario. And it's kind of a hypothetical, but it's actually a real-life scenario for us pastors, which is that every once in a while, let's just say we get a call into the office and that someone from the church has had some sort of issue or medical emergency and they're in the hospital or in the emergency room. And so we gather together and we kind of figure out, okay, who, what's the situation and who's going to go down to the hospital because we, you know, we want to go down to the hospital and offer our... Our, our care and our support and in prayers for the family that, that might be there. And here's the vision that I have for us as a church, is that as the pastor goes and steps into those automatic doors of the emergency room, we don't just see the family sitting by themselves, but we see the small group already tending to them before we even get there. That's the vision. The care that, that God calls us to as the church is not limited to the people that are called pastor or shepherd. That you are empowered to care for one another. And it's a sacred thing. Larry Crabb is a, a wonderful author, psychologist, um, writes a book called Connecting. And uh, this is a long quote, bear with me on this, but I think it's, I think it's worth it. He says, ordinary people have the power to change other people's lives. Do you know that? A distraught father can touch his son with an energy that cuts through a hardened heart and awakens what is tender and true within the child. An adult daughter can offer something from hidden places within her to her aging mother that releases hope in the elderly woman's heart. Hope that can support her through her loneliness, confusion, and pain. The power is found in connection. That profound meeting when the truest part of one soul meets the emptiest recesses in another and finds something there. When life passes from one to the other. When that happens, the giver is left more full than before and the receiver less terrified. Eventually eager to experience even deeper, more mutual connection. The power to meaningfully change lives depends not on advice though counsel and rebuke play a part, not on insight, though self-awareness that disrupts complacency and points toward new understanding is important, but on connecting, on bringing two people into an experience of a shared life. God has so arranged us that we would not have one more important than the other, but to come alongside of one another and to care and to connect as we are connected to Jesus Christ. So what I want to do as we think about how this is lived out in our own personal lives, and some of you might be just sort of waking up a little bit from your nap, and some of you might be thinking, huh, I wonder how God is calling me to care for one another in the way that, that Paul offers to us and God is calling us. 
And so what I want to do is offer you a little visual, a way of kind of understanding, because the truth is we don't automatically just right off the bat start caring for people. I mean, we'd like to think that we do, but the reality is we, we probably don't. And we especially don't when people just like are not really that loving. You know, they're just not asking for the care that we're wanting to provide. So there's other things that are connected to it, and specifically two things, prayer and proximity. When I don't feel like caring for another person, it's amazing what happens when you just start praying for them. When I was in seminary, I was the pastor of a little country church outside um, of, of Ashland, Ohio, where I was studying, and you know, I was this young seminary student. I had all these ideas about church and, and everything. I wanted to apply them to that setting, but this is sort of little country church. They didn't, you know, weren't really keen on me changing things for them. And the, the, the ringleader was the organist. And I played a little guitar the day. Don't ask me today. You know, it's been a while. And I started playing guitar for one of the songs on a early service on Easter Sunday. And the organist, she didn't like that, that I was playing guitar and doing all that. And so um, she found her way to sabotage the song that I was playing and, and singing. And I was so hurt and I was so frustrated and just at my wit's end. Listen, I wanted to kick her out of the church. And I think that I had enough you know, religious language and even some scriptures I could throw in to justify it. <laughs> but I decided, and this was a huge mistake, I, I decided to pray for her instead. And would you believe it? As I prayed for her, I started to care. I started to have compassion for her. And that compassion led to forgiveness for her. And that forgiveness led to some rec reconciliation, which led to a fun, interesting conversation at her house over tea, where she broke down and explained to me how hard it is to navigate this world that just seems to be changing so much. You never know what happens when you just start praying. The other thing that happens with care and compassion is proximity. And sometimes if we don't feel like we you know, understand or, or care, proximity actually helps. Now, I've talked about Haiti and being a missionary there. It probably would surprise you to know that when I started my time as a missionary in Haiti, it wasn't because I had a care or compassion for doing that. Actually, I didn't know. I just knew I wanted to do mission work. And God said, go, therefore, and all the nations. Okay, I can do that. And I didn't really have a heart for Haiti or the Haitian people or anything like that. And I just said, okay, I'm going to go. And God, why don't you just give that to me once I'm down there? <laughs> and he did. And I could have left after one year, but I stayed for a second year. I could have left after that, but I stayed for a third year. And I deeply care today for those people that I just went down to get close to. This past Thursday... Uh, the, my wife and kids um, served a meal at the city mission at the homeless shelter and one of the great things um, that I love about that is that you get to you know, serve a meal and everyone's just so appreciative but then when it's all over 
and everyone's gotten their seconds and everything, we get to get a plate and sit down and have a meal with them. And it was just really neat to sit down and have a meal with, um, with, these, with these fellows. And I sat down with this one guy, and he told me a story and how ashamed he was of what he made of his life, but he was there to get it back on track again. And I just listened, and we just chatted a little bit. And the cool thing is that we got to pray together at the end of that conversation. But I wouldn't have had that experience, and I wouldn't have felt that connection. And I don't know what difference I might have made for that man in that moment, but you know what? We wouldn't have had it if I decided to stay home that evening. There's something sacred when we're willing to get close. And the world of division continues to push people further away. But when we get close, we start to care. And then when it's all tethered together, when it's all brought into its completion, we get to experience Jesus. Brian Stevenson, um, who does work with young men in prisons, he has this amazing quote about proximity. He says, proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. He learned that through proximity, working with young men in prisons. If you're wondering where you fit into all of this and how Christ is calling us, you might want to pay attention to where you're currently not willing to be proximate, where you're not willing to go, who you're not looking forward to being close with. That might give you a clue. And then maybe you could begin praying for them and see what happens. God has so arranged us this way that we are blessed by one another as God works through our story and speaks to us. In that spirit, I'm gonna invite us to do something that's called a call and response. And I'll read some words and then you can respond by reading the words together on the screen. And sometimes when we're singing in music, we don't get to hear each other. But the, the cool thing about this exercise is that we get to hear one another and we get to experience unity as we pray the same prayer together out loud. And so I would just invite us to share in that and, and that you would make this your prayer, your personal prayer to have a new understanding about what it means in the midst of a divided world, how to not only care for one another, to serve one another, to love one another, but to just be God's church, to be the body as he has so arranged it. Let's join together in this call and response. In Christian community, believers want the best for others. We choose to stick with each other through the good times and the bad. In Christian community, believers acknowledge the image of God in each of us. We humbly put others first by being quick to listen and slow to speak. In Christian community, believers acknowledge the distinct roles and gifts of others. We defer to others out of reverence for Christ. 
In Christian community, believers hold each other accountable. We draw attention to what God says is best for us. In Christian community, believers show practical concern for the needs of others. We lighten the load for those who find the going tough. In Christian community, believers offer those around us a glimpse of what God is like and a vision of what heaven will be like. By demonstrating unity and diversity, we declare the gospel every day. And let's pray this together. Lord, these are the desires of our hearts. And we all say amen with one another. And as God has so arranged us, may we be according to what we have been called to be. I'm so glad that you are here today. And my prayer is that we would continue to care for one another as we have been called. Um, before you go, uh, just remember that there are offering boxes uh, in the back to, to, uh, to place your offering. But we've had you remain seated because... Um, there's been a lot that has happened over this weekend, and we have been tremendously blessed to host so many young people, I believe maybe eight or 900, um, and their youth leaders, and to help create an experience where they can experience God. And so um, if you could, we'd love to just show you a little glimpse of, of what God was up to this weekend at Youth Explosion.
something called the Lamb's Book of Life. All those past, present, and future who have truly repented and believed and they received Christ into their hearts, their name is in that book. And when they leave this earth, they will be welcome in thy good and faithful servant. Right, I want to be serious with you. I want to go all the way for my family, for my life, for my destiny. What an amazing weekend, and we're so, we're so grateful. You are my sisters and my brothers, and I love you, and I love you. Go and care for one another, and go in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.